this week's episode of Goat Gab, we welcome back Agnew Judge and Linear Appraiser Bob Bartholomew to continue our discussion about the Agnew Linear Appraisal Program. Join us as we delve deeper into understanding appraisal scores and what to expect on your Linear Appraisal Day. Welcome back. Goat Gabbers to another exciting rendition of Goat Gab. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Cameron Jidlowski. And I'm your other co-host, Laura Warren-Hughes. We're excited to be here this week. Um, it's December, but I don't know about where you all are, but it sure doesn't feel like it where I am. Yeah, it, I would agree with that. But uh, let's introduce our guest, Bob, because I think he's probably in a very different climate than us. Bob Bartholomew was on the podcast earlier talking about linear appraisal. So now we're doing the part two. But Bob, how's the weather up there? Actually, today it's not so bad. Um, I think we're supposed to get up maybe to 50 today, but we had 10 and a half inches of snow uh, a week ago on Friday. And it finally, most of it melted on um friday of this past week so uh it was it was always interesting with 10 inches of snow on top of slimy greasy mud you know how fun that is to walk and do chores in (laughs) yeah yuck but i i did see some pictures on facebook bob and it was so beautiful i mean just so beautiful yeah you can get a glimpse of it once and it can last you for a few years Yeah. Okay. I get it. I agree. I agree. <laughs> when, you have to, when you have to sit in the in the tractor or in the bobcat and plow it for three or four hours, and you're also plowing as much mud as you are snow, you lose that fondness of it very quickly. And it doesn't look very pretty anymore. I could totally yeah. see that. Yeah. That's true. I will. I will say. People say we farm goats, cows, sheep, chickens, whatever. No, we just farm mud most of the time. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, Cameron, what's going on on your farm? We're just as snug as a bug in a rug, I feel like. Um, Not a lot. A lot more quiet on the heats um, side of things. Um, It's amazing to see. You always think you have less goats when their pen is cleaned, but then you really notice all the goats you have when the pen is not cleaned. That's my observation (laughs) for the week. Um, In addition, in addition to that, we hauled some hay, which I mean, that's pretty standard two week job that we do here. Uh, Also uh, working on pulling all of our um, uh, bucks DNA. So we'll have all of our DNA on file for that. So I pulled the one today and then the one is out for lease. So I have to, figure out how to get that one in to get that to the VGL at some point. So um, I'll figure it out eventually. We're doing that too. We've kind of um, our bucks. uh, No, not all of our bucks are done. We have a junior buck to to get done. And I have a couple of doe kids that were Hoosier daddy kids. And they were really late last year. Um, You know, one of those deals where we were just glad to get the doe bread. So uh I need to do some parental verification on them so they can be uh, registered and we can show them next year. And so um, I know a lot of us have held off on doing DNA work until uh, things settle down a little bit with ADGA, but I'm hoping that now is a great time to get that done and see how that goes. So, yeah, I agree on that. Just again, slow, slow time for the goat world. So get it done and out of the way before um, the rush of kidding season. And you start to have more of who's your daddy scenarios. 
Exactly. And ho- hopefully there's less and less of those as people have more and more animals DNA tested. So, yep, that w- that's the goal there. Um, one thing uh, before I kind of move on there, just a reminder about our bonfire store. You can pur- purchase T-shirts from there about Goat Gab. Again, short sleeve, long street, long sleeve, um, anything under the sun there uh, that you would want. Different colors as well. We are going to be taking that store down or that link down January first. So please get your shirts in for that. There, we might do another pop up shop every once in a while. Maybe do some new designs. Maybe sweatshirts. Um, we're just going to kind of see and kind of roll with it here. Uh, and kind of see how that goes. But um, if you do want your Goat Gab, um, we'll share the link on Facebook again. Uh, if you want your Goat Gab swag, uh, feel free to order it before January 1st. Don't you think that Santa would think that's a great stocking stuffer for somebody? I, I think so. Uh, everybody loves goat shirts. And Laura, you do say it's very comfortable. I have mine on right now. The one I got from Bonfire. It's a uh, warm and I've got a long sleeve tee and it's held up well. It's washed many times. And it looks just as good as it did when it was new. So kind of fun to wear. <laughs> yeah. Laura, what's happening on your farm? Got my last two does bred. So um, I think I've said on the podcast before, I'm not a big fan of May kids, but um, these are going to be the first of May. So I guess uh, that'll give me some junior yearlings uh, down the road a ways if they get to stick around. So, um, and think we have one other Sonnen settled by AI. So it was an AI that my wonderful brother-in-law Stanton did while I was at convention and she should have been in heat Friday and no interest whatsoever in the buck yet. So, you know, I hope I didn't just jinx it, but it'll be pretty exciting to have two Sonnen AIs that have stuck this year. Cause I just don't have good luck with that. So, well, that's, that's exciting. Yeah. This warm weather, it's made it nice to do uh, some around the farm things that, you know, maybe you've gotten put off, fix a little bit of fence, um, winterize the barns a little bit before it's bitter cold outside. So uh, I I know that our our days are numbered and it was in the upper 60s and and lower 70s at the end of last week. And I think tomorrow the high is supposed to be 36. So we're definitely getting back into winter weather, but not 10 inches of snow, I hope, Bob. Yeah, I hope not either. What have you been up to on your farm, Bob? I've I've just been trying to catch up on all the things I let go while I was gone at convention for 16 days. Um, My trip to convention was... um, Long because I judged the North American International Livestock Expo on the way to convention. So I drove down to Louisville on the Thursday before and then judged in Louisville Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then took off Sunday afternoon, uh, hoping to make it to convention in time for the welcome dinner on Monday. And um, things were progressing pretty well till I got to New Mexico, seven o'clock Monday morning, and I stopped for gas and Turned the truck off, and when I went to restart it, there was kind of a a gush of air, and then the truck wouldn't start. And I tried it a few times, and it would click and try to go, and it couldn't. And um, a call to AAA uh, revealed that um, the air compressor pump had apparently um, disintegrated, and because of that, the fan belt couldn't turn. And uh, oh no! Sat at a garage from seven in the morning until just after five p.m. until they got it fixed. And uh, just under a thousand dollars later, we're back on the road, 
and finally arrived in Tucson at 3.30 a.m. on Tuesday morning. And um, it, was, it was the craziest convention that I've, I've been involved with because I tried to attend the board meetings <clears throat> Tuesday and Wednesday. Thursday, I was uh, presenting and, and working with the linear appraiser, or excuse me, the um, advanced judges, and uh, the other day with, advanced, or with uh, linear appraisal. So I, I did both of those. And then Saturday, I had the AGF, American Goat Federation, board meeting that went from 8 a.m. until 2.30. And then Sunday, I got a call at 8.10 in the morning asking me if I could help out with the judges training conference and went and worked with the pool classes and talked to the candidates in between about things to address and things to deal with and working with contracts and all those kinds of things in between the pool classes at the training conference. And then the next morning we headed home at 7 a.m. and got back. I We landed at my house at midnight on Wednesday night. So um, it was a long trip, just over 5,600 miles. Wow. And Grace Toy rode with you. Is that right? Yeah. Grace, Grace Toy rode along with me. Um, I normally take the dairy goat photos at the North American and they had asked me to judge this year. So instead of me doing the photos, Grace went, went along in my place so she could take photos at the North American while I judged this year. And then she rode along with me to convention as well. It's good to have company. Yes, it is. Especially on a long trip <laughs> like that. So were you hauling animals um, both ways also when you went out there? No, we did bring a couple of spotlight sale animals back east, but uh, we didn't take anything out. Just brought some animals back. Very good. Well, I'm sorry you had I'm sorry you had issues on the way out there. I'd kind of heard rumors that yeah, that was the case, but I um, hadn't had a chance to talk to you about it. So glad that you got that fixed and got out there. That's I would not think that would be a fun a fun day to spend in New Mexico at all. No, it was not. Well, uh, moving all along to ADGA news here, um, the news and events, uh, the question becomes, did you receive the email? Laura, do you want to shed some light on that there as a director? Yeah, sure. So as many of you know, it used to be when you became an ADGA member and you paid for your membership, um, you got the directory, you got um, your guidebook, um, sent to you along with paper copies of Adga news and events. And those are published every quarter. And so um, several years ago, and I really don't know the exact timeline on that. Um, a, they realized that like in my, my household, we would get five copies of the directory and five copies of the guidebook. And, and uh, you know, we don't need that. One would suffice it just fine. And they also found that many people just would, would just as soon have those electronically. You can download it, put it on your phone or your computer and, and not have to think now, where did I put that guidebook? You know, you could just have it with you. So um, they've made it so that if you want paper publications of things, you need to opt in to get paper publications. Um, and one of the things in reworking everything with ADGA and with our focus on being a more member friendly community or a member-friendly business, I'm sorry. Um, we're trying to help make it easier for people to, to receive 
the publications that they want. And so one thing that we've realized is that many people may not realize that they're not getting their AGA news and events. Maybe they prefer to have it in paper, um, you know, holding it and reading it when they're waiting in the carpool line or, or at work or whatever they want to do rather than reading it electronically. So um, there was an email that went out this past week to everybody, or it should have gone to everybody um, asking what your preference is for receiving ADGA news and events. And if you want to continue to receive it electronically, where you go to a link, you put in a password and you download it, you don't need to do anything. But if you do want to receive it in a paper copy, you need to respond to that email and let them know. Now, one thing that's come up is that we realize that some people are not getting their emails. And so I, I really don't know reasons why behind that, but I can tell you if you have not received your email, please contact your director and um, let them know and they can um, help you get in touch with whom you need to get to try to get the ball rolling on that. One thing that a lot of people have realized is that ADGA emails are going into their spam folder. So before you get alarmed that you never received an email, make sure you check your spam folder. Laura. Yes. Uh, just a little more information on that. We actually had a couple of directors at the meeting yesterday, and there was some real discussion about that, this whole news and events thing. And as it turns out, the emails that went out from the office, the first email that went out, which was the one that said things are, things are great and registrations are coming along and NG is, is being worked on and things are getting better, went to 25,000 plus members. The email that went out asking if you wanted your news and events in written form, in printed form, only went out to 2,400 members. And the reason, as I understand, as it was explained yesterday, the only people that got the email asking about having news and events sent to you were the 2,400 people that initially had opted in to get their guidebook and their directory in print form. So everyone in ADGA did not get asked if they want their news and events printed. Only the 2,400 people who had previously chosen to get their directory and guidebook in print were the ones that got the email. In other words, if you don't respond, then that cuts that pool of 2,400 down even smaller. So Adga's sending even less. And we expressed, some of us expressed to the directors yesterday that we really didn't think, one, that was the right time for this, and two that it just didn't seem fair that that only 2,400 members of the association were given that opportunity instead of everyone. And I, so just to give that a little more clarity, everyone did not get that email. It was only sent to those that had already asked to have their uh, guidebook and uh, directory sent to them in hard print. I really appreciate that clarification, Bob, because I did not get that from what I was getting. And, and I know that I've um, spent a lot of time over the past several days helping people get in touch with the office to try to try to get that fixed. So that is very good to know. I was just going to say, just my opinion is, you know, for your membership dues, for your yearly membership dues, 
I don't think four printed newsletters a year is really a bad thing. Um, and I understand it's, uh, it's a cost savings to ADGA to not have to mail it. However, I just think it's the way that we communicate with our members. We vote for our national show judges, important dates and deadlines and things that come up, whether it's for linear appraisal application or for membership application or for reminding people to, to send in their ballots for the primaries or for the elections. Those are the things that are in the news and events. And if we just get an email that says, you can read your news and events online, click here. So few of our members, I think, are going to actually see that. Whereas if you get it in the mail, they have it in their hand. That's just my own opinion. My hope, and this is my hope, and this is my dream, and I don't know why I'll, I'll vocalize this here, is that they would turn the email into, instead of clicking here, logging into the member site, it would almost be like an e-blast out. And maybe instead of doing it every every four, every three months, maybe they do it every month or something like that there. Because I'll be honest with you, that that members and events thing, that's, a lo- that's like a 30 30- – ish page document i felt like it's i mean it is not i mean it takes a while to go through that if you sit down and you read it there um i would hope that the new director of communications whoever they are would would work to kind of either automate that email or to make it more palatable for the average person to go and read that there so that would be my goal of it all on the on the news and events there i do agree until we go to an online voting system through national show judges, um, uh, directors, whatever. Uh, I do agree that, you know, a paper format is necessary as a constitution and bylaws calls for, but I, I also do see value in the email side of things. And I think I would hope that they would work to modernize that. One of the things that I, I feel is very important for us not to lose sight of though. And, and, you know, obviously, I mean, we're on a podcast, so we like technology and we like social media and we like, um, using these kind of ways to communicate. And I would say the majority of our listeners also use email and, and um, electronic communication, but there is a very large segment of our membership who do not. And I think it's really important that we don't disenfranchise them uh, be, because they are not comfortable with email. And I, I worry that the people who only communicate via printed materials, they a don't have any idea that there are issues going on with ADGA and that there are concerns. They're just wondering why when they send their paperwork in, they haven't gotten anything for months and months and months. So, um, you know, I do feel like that we need to remember not everybody communicates electronically and, and we need to get, make it easier for them to do that. So knowing that Bob, that most people haven't gotten their, the majority of people did not get an email. That's really helpful and explains a lot. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And if they want to get it by in printed form, they just need to send their ID number to that news at adga.org. And that will trigger them being put onto that list. And again, I, like you just said about the members that don't have uh, access to computers or don't have reliable internet service. Listen, I have HughesNet. And if it gets cloudy and if it rains or we get a snow flurry, I lose my internet. Fortunately, the sun is kind of peeking through the clouds today, so it's a good day for me to do this. But I don't always have good internet service here. So those poor folks that don't do things electronically, not only are they not getting their papers, but they haven't gotten a news and events. I don't believe since either the first right, quarter right. of There's- this year or the last quarter of last year. 
I can't remember if we had one first quarter of this year or not. So they've been all this time basically not knowing what's going on. Right. And I know that I've gotten some news and events because one of the five memberships that belong to my household has opted in for paper. So I know that I've gotten them, but I also know that there, I think there was one that was combined and in six months is a long time not to know anything. So I'm not for sure it was combined. It just seemed like it was, it was a later issue than what I expected. So, you know, we just, we just have to keep having these conversations and, and I'm kind of with Cameron, Bob, I hope that this new uh, communications director that they're looking to hire is just outstanding and making sure that everybody gets a good communication from AGA, not just, not just the ones who are comfortable with email and the internet, but everybody can easily get the information that they deserve. Yeah. Um, along with that, I do think that national show ballots will be coming out soon with the next news and events there. Um, and I think next week we're actually going to be talking about that with some guests hint, hint, don't want to drop anybody, but Bob, do you kind of, I guess just, just real short and sweet here. Do you kind of want to give your take your national show judge? Um, what are some of the considerations you have for how people should go and approach, um, voting for national show judges? Wow. Uh, that's a question you surprised me with. Um, you know, <laughs> it's not on the topic we were thinking about, so I hadn't thought about this. No. Um, in, in choosing national school judges, it, it's one of those things that um, I, I think what people, the, what I tell people when, when they're looking at choosing national show judges, every time you vote, for five or six judges, whatever the amount is they allow us to vote for. It's like when you when you vote for somebody you want in there and then you choose four more people, it's almost like you cross out the vote for the judge you really want. And my advice is if there's somebody you really want to see judge, only vote for one or two. Don't vote for five or six. And I honestly can't remember off the top of my head. Oh. Is there six of us? Is, are they, that's are interesting. They that's interesting. Yeah. If, if, yes. if there's someone you really want to see judge, vote for that person and maybe one other. Don't vote for five or six people because it, you kind of cancel out votes. That, you don't cancel them out, but you, you just kind of make an even playing field again. So um, if there's somebody you really want to see, vote for them. And then don't vote for the whole, you know, for for the full plate. So, Bob, when people are thinking about who they want on there, when they get their ballot, there will be judges who are eligible that are listed there. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about what makes somebody eligible for that list? Because, you know, I've had people say, well, I like so-and-so, but I don't see their name on that list. There's some pretty specific criteria that you have to meet as a judge in order to be eligible to judge a national show. There are, and honestly, I've got to tell you, I haven't looked at them in quite a few years. But um, you had to have, you have to have been a judge, I believe it's a minimum of six years. You have to have judged shows of greater than three hundred animals in at least three different regions of the country. I believe. I, I, again, I'm I'm pulling this yep. totally from memory. Um, those are those are the basic things. Um, I'm just trying. To you're right. Here. You're you're totally right there. Okay. You're it's six and that's years. Important. Those are the two yep. I remember. And, and that's important because you want somebody who can handle the great big classes and the pressure and um, 
you know, can move through at a, a rapid clip. That <laughs> they're not going to be there all night, hopefully, unless it's just a really huge show. But uh, you want somebody who can take charge of the ring and decisively sort these animals that they're looking at out there. Absolutely. I agree on that. Well, more to come maybe on that um, in the future, potentially. However, let's transition and let's not blindside Bob with any more hard questions. Sorry, Bob. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But let's talk about linear appraisal part two and kind of talking about some of the things that, that we maybe missed because there's a lot to cover in linear appraisal and I even dug out my linear appraisal sheet from this year because I was one of the lucky ones got to do that to formulate some of the questions. So um, we're going to go ahead and, and fire them off. Laura, do you want to start there? Yeah, absolutely. So if you remember on our part one that we did uh, several episodes ago, uh, we really talked a lot about the program and and what's behind it and why it's so important to do it. I, I really felt like maybe this time we would delve a little bit more into the nuts and bolts of what to expect and so forth. So um Let's talk a little bit about when you have your herd appraised, you end up with a nice sheet of letters and numbers and so forth. And Bob, can we talk a little bit about that? Um, Why are some things given letters? Why are some things given numbers? And kind of what the difference is around that? Sure. Um, the, The actual appraisal program is broken really into three parts. The first part is the linear appraisal, and that's the part that's used in the SIRE summaries, um, or the primary part that's used in the SIRE summaries, along with the final score at the end. Then there is the structural categories, and the, the let me back up. The linear is where we give the number from 1 to 50, and we score each trait somewhere from one extreme being 1 or, and uh, to the other extreme being 50. And we score that trait wherever that animal happens to fall in that zero to 50 or one to 50. On the other, when we move past that, we get into the structural categories. These are not included in the SIRE summary uh, data that's used to, to create the SIRE summaries. And those are the things that we give either letters or symbols. We use a plus sign. And then we use uh, E for excellent, V for very good, a plus sign for a good plus. Um, A for acceptable, F for fair, and P for poor. And those are on those structural categories. Then when we get through those, we go to the four categories of the scorecard and the final score. And in the four categories of the scorecard, again, we score the goats using those letters or symbol as excellent if they're 90% of what we would expect an animal of that age, of that breed to be. Uh, 85, if it's 85 to 89 would be a good, would be a very good, if we give it a V, good plus would be an 80 to an 84, acceptable 70 to 79, fair um, 60 to 69, and below 15, or 59 and below would be a P for poor. And those are the, that's the way we break those, the difference between the numbers and the letters and then finally, at the end, we put a numerical number on for their final score. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, for sure. So I want to jump back to something that you said there, Bob. You said 90% of what you'd expect for that animal's age and for their breed. Right. So a yearling, a, a 90 for a yearling, which I'm not sure you can get a 90, right? 89 is the highest number you can get for a yearling. 
we can give we can give an animal a ninety or better in the individual cat. We can score them as in their general appearance. We can score them ninety or better. We can score them in their okay. carry strength ninety or better. We can score them in their body capacity ninety or better, and we can score them in their memory system ninety or better. But if it's a yearling, a first freshener, we cannot score them above 89 as a final score. Okay. Because you recognize that this is just a first lactation, a lot can change between now and then. Is that is that the reasoning behind that? Well, there there is that's part of it. And there's a whole list of um, there's a whole list of characteristics that are described for animals to reach those excellent scores. Um, and again, I'm kind of looking for them as we're talking because I wasn't thinking I was going to talk about them, but I guess it would be not a bad time to use it. And I want to make sure I have it exactly. It's on page 10, 11. Okay. Let me look real quick. I've got my sheets in front of me here. Um, so we have the scoring range definitions, and I'll just go through these really quickly. <clears throat> And it's all about function, the ability to be productive relative to age without significant detriment to strength, soundness, dairy form, or mobility into maturity, into reasonable maturity. And that's what we talk about in terms of what is function. So 59 and below is poor. Animals in this category demonstrate an inability to function. A poor animal possesses severe structural defects in multiple categories, inhibiting productivity at any stage of maturity. All right. So then we move up to the 60 to 69s, which are fair. These are animals that demonstrate an inability to sustain function through maturity or a loss of function with maturity. A fair animal possesses serious structural defects, significantly limiting longevity and productivity. And we've got a definition for each of those. I won't read them all, but I did want to tell you that when we get up to the when we get up to the um, higher scores, the excellent scores, ninety and above, we have very specific definitions for 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, and then ninety five and above. And it talks in those things about uh, have have reached maturity and 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 are extreme and and or exceptional in in categories. And those are the kinds of things that you don't have in a yearling per se. They're, they're not, they will have not reached maturity. So they've, they've not even had the opportunity to get to that stage yet. So we can't make them those, those kinds of numbers. That makes all kinds of sense. Sure. Going back to kind of the letters here, cause I'm, I feel like I'm obsessed with the letters when I look at the, cause that's naturally that's where my eye goes because, you know, in school we get graded A, B, C, D, F there. But I go back to the, 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 the letters there. But do the letters really mean anything? I mean, it's just kind of a range. So if I have a, a, a goat that scored E in general appearance, for example, she might be anywhere from 90 to ni- or 99 or 100, correct? Correct. But when initially, well, as we're working through our scores and we get over to the, to the general appearance category, when we put a letter in there, we actually have a number in our heads that we've scored that goat at. So your goat might be 90. We might think that goat's 93 in her general appearance. 
but we don't use numbers in that space. We just use the letter E. But when we figure the final score, we'll actually use the number that we've come up with to use to calculate our final score. And I know that may gotcha. sound a little confusing, but that is the way we do it. Okay. That makes, I mean, I, I just see, I just see, um, you know, uh, what is it? Goodwill? No, not Goodwill Hunting. Rain Man on the board, just doing a complicated math problem um, yeah. in his head right there. That's what I see the appraisers yep. doing. <laughs> I write on my, I write on the edge of my board. I've got all kinds of numbers all over the edges of my board from where I do the math. So, um, gotcha. Yeah. So, well, when you talk about that, there. So you're fi- so maybe you're. Is does each of the four traits: memory system, theory, strength, body capacity, and general appearance? Do they have different calculations and then do you also consider the numbers plus the 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 numbers from the linear side of it there do you factor those in with the actual letter scores yeah as we're working through and we're looking at the categories and we're just for instance if we're talking about general appearance um i'll zip back over and i'll look at those i'll look at those linear scores to see how wide that that animal was in its rump. Um, if an animal is only five inches wide in its rump or six inches wide in its rump and it's a standard breed, I'm not going to make that animal excellent in general appearance because it just isn't, it isn't wide enough rumped. And again, we got to go back and look at the numbers. So that, that animal needs to be probably, you know, in, in the thirties or more, you know, to, to, to kind of look at where it's going to fit in terms of, um, is it going to be excellent? Is it going to be very good? I mean, it could be good all the way. It could be an animal that is excellent when you look at it generally. And then you go back and you look at those numbers and say, yeah, but it was only six and a half inches wide. And is that wide enough to be an excellent goat? So maybe you say, no, she can't be. Let's leave her in the, let's leave her in the high V category. So we'll, we'll think of her as an 88 or an 89. So we do go back and look gotcha. at those numbers and letters um, as we do it. There are times when you see animals that um, like will have a final score of 90 and she may be a VEVE. And then you'll see another doe that has a final score of 89. Who's also a VEVE. That's what you're talking about there. When you, when you look at the overall animal and you look at the numbers and so forth, you can have a variation in that final numerical score that they get. Um, because of that, correct then? Right. And and maybe what would make more sense is let me tell you how we get our final score. And and that maybe will make this all make a little more sense. So once we get through the four categories, the general appearance, our dairy strength, body capacity, and memory system, and we've put those letters on there. And let's just use your example, V-E-V-E. So that goat that we've just made very good in general appearance Maybe we just barely got into general appearance and we're going to say that she's an 85. Okay. So just kind of keep that number in your head. She's an 85. Now she's really good in her dairy strength. And um, so we're going to make her, we're going to say that she's 93 in her dairy strength. Then we look at body capacity. We've got her at very good again. And She's she's on the upper end of very good, but she's not quite excellent. So let's call her 88. So we've got 85, 93, 88. And then we get to her memory, and we've got her at excellent, as you said, 
and we'll just call her an even 90. Okay. So the way we figure our final score is we've got those four numbers either written down somewhere on our clipboard or in our head. And you take those, you take those two numbers of general appearance and mammary system, because those are the two highest point categories. And it turns out that they're both worth exactly 30% of the score. So we take those two, those two categories and she was an 85 in general appearance. And we said she was a 90 in memory system. So we add those two numbers together, which is 175. And then we divide it by two. Cameron, are you doing the math? 87 and a half. All right. So 87 and a half is what we call her base score. Now, I said she was really strong in her general appearance, and she was 93. So we subtract 87 and a half from 93. Bob, you mean dairy care, dairy strength. She was really strong in dairy strength. Isn't that what I said? Right? I'm sorry. That's okay. You said general appearance, but I was following I, I, you. I said yes. I meant dairy strength. Yes. We had her 93 yes. in dairy strength. So subtract the 87.5 yep. from the 93, and we get? Five and a half. Right. Now, dairy strength is worth 20% of the scorecard. So we take that five and a half times 0.2. Okay, which that equals is like 1.1. 1. 1. 1. So now we add that to the base score. So now we're up to 88 and a half. But we got to go back and we have to look at body capacity. And I said in body capacity, she was how much? 88, didn't I? Yes, 88. Okay. So at 88, she's a half a point above that base score of 87.5. So we've got 0.5 there. And now we multiply that times 0.1 because it's worth 10% of the score. And then we add that on to what the score was. So instead of it being 88.5 now, it becomes 89.0, correct? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. yeah. And that's so that's her final score, 89. Oh, that is that really does illustrate what you were talking about, Bob. Thank you. That yes. That makes a lot of difference. When you were a first year appraiser, how I mean, what was the difference between timing of figuring out all that math times where you're at now versus where you're at now? Um, you know, basically, <laughs> I got to tell you, I was a school teacher for 20 years and I've taught every subject including math. And I've always been good about doing numbers in my head. And if I'm not talking and telling you guys the whole system as I'm doing it, I can look at those numbers pretty fast and I can do the math in my head. Now, there are some that are not as easy as others, and I do have to write, some, write them down sometimes. But most of them I can look at and I can figure it in my head as I'm looking across. And not to say that I haven't made a mistake in the past, I have, but... Um, I think I'm a little quicker at it now than I was my first year, but I don't think a lot because I, I just think the first year it's more about second guessing yourself and double checking to make sure you did it right. I can see that. And wanting to make sure that the animal that you're describing with the numbers and their final score is actually the animal that's standing in front of you, I'm sure enters into that as well. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes you get done with a goat and you get a number and you get that final score and you stand back and you look at the goat and say, is that the right score to fit this goat? And there's times when it just isn't. And you have to go back and you have to say to yourself, wait a minute, what did I do wrong? Should I have had her higher here? Should I have had her, should I have had her lower there? 
and you make an adjustment. And and you know, sometimes you've got to go back and, and make make scores, you know, adjust the scores to fit the goat. It doesn't always I I would say the vast majority of the time it does, but occasionally you'll come out with a number that doesn't that doesn't quite fit. And you have to think, where did I where did I really see something that I shouldn't have, or where am I giving this goat too much credit, or where am I being too tough on her? You know, it's kind of like in the show ring, Cameron, you can relate to this. And even uh, even you, Laura, as a previous judge, you know, we jokingly say sometimes, I said this yesterday at my presentation, um, we all know that when we judge goats, teats are worth 90 points. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> you know, how many times have you been at shows and, and there's a goat that because she has excessively large teats, She's fourth place in line, even though she might be the best goat in the class in every other category in every other way. But because she's got big teats, they they put her in the fourth spot, you know. So it's kind of sometimes you have to go back and, and look at yourself, you know, look at what you've done and say, was I really too harsh, you know, in this area? Or, you know, I may have the goat move again. It may mean we ask the exhibitor to go milk exhibitor or the owner, excuse me, to go milk that goat out. Maybe I need to see that memory system without milking it to see how it see where it really should be. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being a little too generous or maybe I'm being a little too hard. Let's milk her out and see what she looks like. And and sometimes that can make the difference. Well, that leads me right into my next question, which was on kind of the utter and an utter texture score, because I think it's an overlooked trait. Um, and, and sometimes the appraisers do ask you to milk them out. So what's the reason for milking them out to determine that texture, um, or any other type of score that you would have them milked out for? Well, there's a couple things. First of all, most of the time, I think that we as appraisers, as a group, can get a really good handle on mammary system, utter textures, handling them even with milk in them unless they're unless someone's got them really overbagged. Okay. Um, however, our our SOP is very clear. In order to make an animal excellent in utter texture, it has to be milked out. So if if we have a if you have an animal that that you believe really is excellent in texture or that we really think is probably excellent in texture we have to have that animal milked out in order to do in order to give it an e otherwise the best we can the best we can do is give it very good that's in our sop so that's one reason um, uh, another one is to determine if there's something there maybe maybe when we're feeling texture we're we're not really sure if it's uh, if it's secretory tissue or if it's just kind of a fatty beefy kind of an udder and we really want to be sure one way or the other. In that case, we may have an animal. We may ask an animal to be milked out. Now, at the same time, I will tell you that we do score at herds where the owner insists that they milk every single animal out and bring them out, bring them back empty, so you can handle that. You can handle or check that udder and check that texture before you put your final score on the paper. So again, everybody's a little different. Um, there are not many people that do that, but there are a few. And of course it requires more manpower. Um, they have to have someone else there available to milk because we can't take the time to sit there and wait while they milk every animal out. So 
you know, it has to be a, a well uh, choreographed kind of a day in order to do that, especially if there's a lot of goats. But, um, but there are herds that do it. One thing I will say, and we talk about this, and I talk about this a lot when I'm appraising, when we're looking at udder textures, to get into an excellent udder texture, um, when that udder is milked out, it almost has to milk out to be milked down to be like a tissue or like a like a latex glove, literally. You know, there, there's just basically no tissue in there, or, or or virtually no tissue in that mammary system. And I there's a I talked about this a little bit yesterday. I'm not going to name the goat, but there was a Toggenberg doe a number of years ago that um, I happen to know very well. It was owned by someone that that I was uh, good friends with that um, was excellent in her utter texture. And if you did not see that dough completely milked out or completely full of milk, like bag for a show, that udder never looked good. It looked sloppy because there's no, there was no tissue to give it any shape. So if it wasn't really full of milk, it was not a pretty udder to look at. That just brings up a question in my mind that I've kind of wanted to know for a long time. Um, in, in my own herd, and you know, granted, I don't have a big herd and never have had a big herd, but one of my very heaviest milking does that a very beautifully shaped mammary system, when you milked her out, there was a lot of tissue there. So yeah. I know she would not have appraised excellent in her utter tissue. Right. Um, why is that? Why do you want those udders that collapse down to absolutely nothing like this Toggenberg udder that you were describing? Why is that considered ideal? I think because, again, this is done prior to prior to me becoming an appraiser or prior to me becoming involved. I was not the one who said I was not involved in setting this up. My belief is that without that extra tissue and, and uh, whether it be a uh, uh, fat tissue or or um, other kinds of tissue that's in there, it's taking up space for for secretory cells, and therefore they can't get quite as much production from those kinds of mammaries. Then that's probably one of those traits that if that's really important to you, and I'm not saying it shouldn't be, but if it's important to you as a breeder, that is something you're going to look at. Whereas maybe another breeder who doesn't feel like it's quite so important, they may not look at that score and think that it's that important to them when they're looking for animals to add to their breeding program or looking for evaluations of animals. That's absolutely correct. Um, you know, having a, having a doe that's very good in her utter texture, that's got some shape to that mammary system is not such a bad thing. Having a little bit of, having a little bit of, of tissue there that, that helps provide some shape and basis for that mammary system. Um, again, when it's, when you get those, when you get those does that are excellent, and not to say there aren't those does that are excellent in udder texture that have beautiful udders when they're full of milk. There are some out there. I've scored some, but I will also tell you that a lot of times those same does that, unless they're really full, those udders don't look as nice and don't look as they're not they're not quite as uh, aesthetically pleasing, let's say, as some others that might have a little bit more tissue and a little more shape to them. Very interesting. Well, moving off of udders, let's talk a little bit about feet. Um, <laughs> it seems to me, and, and Bob, maybe you can say something about this as, as an appraiser, but it seems like you see a lot of pluses in feet, especially in Alpines, I think. 
Um, What do you think about that? Why do you think that is? And uh, how does that affect the whole form following function type type approach to looking at goats? Well, there's a couple of different things to talk about with feet. Let's just say there are some breed differences. Okay. I think you can both agree with me on that. Um, In general. Yes. Uh, in general, and I'm not saying this isn't the, always the rule, and this is just as my personal observation and my personal feelings, Nubians tend to be a little stronger in their feet than a lot of the other breeds. Um, we, yeah. They tend to have a little more heel. Uh, they tend to be a little stronger and a, a, a little maybe have a little more depth of heel, a little more width, and, and maybe just a little bit larger foot in a lot of cases. Um, Laura and, and Cameron, this is maybe going back before you could remember this, but Laura and I both started judging in 1987 with our judges licenses. So, uh, so I know Laura can, can relate to this, but think about some of the Alpines that we saw back then. And a lot of, there were a lot of really predominant bloodline Alpines that had, had toes at if the doe looked to the north, one foot, one foot faced east and one foot faced west, and there was a lot of that. Yes, it has improved a lot over the years, but it was. I think it was a bigger difference back then than it is now. I think they've gotten much, much, much better. But the other thing I was gonna. So there are some breed differences, and and oftentimes as well, we see better feet in, in Nigerians too. You know, they're not that big frame. They're not carrying as much weight. Maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. But we tend to see a little bit better foot shape and maybe a little more heel on our Nigerians and on Nubians, in my observations at least. Um, The other thing I was going to say is when you get into the areas where there's a lot of sand, Southern California, Arizona, New Mexico, Florida, uh, places where there's a lot of sandy soil, especially where there's a lot of sugar sand, you see a lot more splayed toes. Those goats that stand in sand all the time seem to have a lot more open toe issues than than animals in other parts of the country where they're standing on solid ground. Again, my observation, I've talked about this a little bit at appraisal uh, at appraisal workshops, but you know we've not really done anything with it, but it's certainly in my observation, I've seen that, that in places where we get more of that sand, real sandy soil, that I think we see more open toes. So I think environment certainly plays uh, an, an issue. And again, I think that goes back to why do we see so many pluses? I think environment plays a big issue on this when they're in areas where they're, the ground is you know wet for a, a good portion of the year or... Uh, you know they're in areas where they're they're um, where it's always dry and it's always sandy. You know those kinds of things. I think they all do do affect the way those feet are and and how those feet look. We don't see a lot of yeah. We don't see hardly any, very few excellent feet. Yeah, I would agree with that, and that that's why I asked this question is because I feel like it's the one trait that you don't see a lot of V's and E's in. it's plus across the board. But just when I was looking at my sheet today, plus, 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 I mean, it was pluses across the board and maybe a V on a sable, but none in the Alpines. 
I just think that that's a trait where you've got genetics and you've certainly got the environment. And I think when you're looking at that one specific trait, just that one thing, um, you know, because of the environment and because of people trim feet differently, some people don't know how to properly trim feet. Let's, I, I mean, you could tell them, but if, if they don't <laughs> do them correctly and they take a lot of heel off when they're trimming or, or they, you know, they trim feet and, and, and listen, as an appraiser and even as a judge, we see a lot of hoof trimming jobs that are sometimes very bizarre. And that certainly affects the feet. You know, it's not, it's not a trait like back or rump, you know, that it's kind of genetic and it is what it is. Feet, you've got the genetic of what they are, and then you've got the environment, and then you've got the way people, the way people manipulate them. So I think that can that can affect that as well. Yeah, kind of the last question I have when I looked at my sheet here is, and you see this a lot, or you see other times here, is I saw a lot of nicks or not in conditions. What does that mean, and how do you as an appraiser determine that in does, and then obviously in bucks as well? Okay, we have and and let's clarify. There actually. Um, we had Nick, and then we have a – oh, I have to look at my clipboard. We have a, a second Nick, which has got something added to it. Nick, it, primarily it's not in condition. We can also use it for not in control. Not in control, Bob, as an animal that's unruly, such as a yeah, buck yeah. that is aggressive. Like a buck that you can't hold on to. And if you can't hold on to it, I can't, I can't read its tattoos – without taking the chance of it breaking my arm or hitting me in the chin and breaking my jaw or something like that. So we can actually, we can actually score. We can actually put a goat as being not in control, but in your case, Cameron, you're talking about not in condition. Now, not in condition means we don't believe on that day that we can be fair to that animal and give it a fair score as to what it truly is. And that can be for a lot of reasons. It can be for illness. It can be for a doe that's freshened that day or, or two days before, you know, and her rump is still all messed up and, and her ligaments are all loose and, and she just hasn't had a chance to pull herself together. She's sunk in, you know, the whole thing that goes with that first week or so after kidding, how some does just look like they're going to die any minute. It's not fair to score <laughs> a doe on a day like that. It's not fair to the goat. It's not fair to the herd owner. So we have that ability to, to put them not in condition. Now we also use not in condition for dry does and we can score, we can score dry does. And I've, I've made a dry doe 90. I've, I've made a dry doe excellent in the past. You know, we can do that. The, the, the key to it is there has to be enough mammary tissue there for us to be able to get a true evaluation of what that mammary system would would be like. And it's not as easy to do on dry goats, it's which is why I think a lot of the times we initiate and we use the not in not in condition um the not in condition code. Because you know you've got some animals that, you know, when they dry up, basically, I mean they dry up to have just nothing there. And it's not really fair to give them a score on utter arch, rear to arch, and rear to height 
when there's basically no tissue there. So in all fairness to the goat, we then get we we then score them not in condition. I will tell you, I've gone to herds where I've had people that I've looked at a goat and I've said, you know, I'd really like to nick her. I don't think she's really in condition at this point. And they've said, oh, yes, we understand that, but we really want to score. So please go ahead and score her anyway. So, uh, you know, there are there are animals that we've scored that, you know, we've we've given the owners the option to not score them because they weren't in condition, particularly on that day. And they've asked us to do it anyway. But that's what the NIC is for on your sheet. Um, a sickness, an injury, um, a, a, a dry animal, an animal that's too recently fresh to really get a true picture of what she looks like. That's what not in condition is supposed to be for. Gotcha. I mean, that makes perfect sense there. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about nuts and bolts, about um, appraising. And I know... Uh, most people that have have been following linear appraisal for 2022, they know that um, it is on track to happen and um, that those who have been so patiently waiting to be appraised and haven't had the chance for the past couple of years, they're going to be a priority to try to get them done in 2022. Um, can we talk a little bit about like what to expect about appraisal, like how you should uh, think about, a, you know, getting your herd ready, what kind of things, what kind of things do you need to think about? And then Bob, this is kind of your chance to talk about what appraisers really want to see in a well-organized appraisal stop. Cause you had mentioned earlier about if you want your animals milked out to have their udder texture, you really need to have a, a well-oiled machine as far as plenty of help and so forth. So this is really your time to shine and tell us, what appraisers like to have in their stop. Okay. Well, there, there was kind of two things you touched on in, in, in that question. The first part was what to expect going into 2022. Um, there are parts of the country that we have not been able to get to since, I think there are a couple of parts we haven't gotten to since 2018. And I know there are several parts that we didn't get, haven't been to since 2019. Of course, only Florida was scored in 2020 because there was a trip to Florida that actually started and happened before the, the pandemic really got hold. And so Florida was scored in 2020 and um, they were the only ones. So nobody got scored in 2020. And then in 2021, um, because of a number of factors, there were less days available and so on and so forth. Instead of planning big trips like they have in the past where, you know, we, we'd fly across the country and spend 13 days in uh, Arizona, New Mexico, and Southern California, um, this year, more of the appraisers did trips closer to home. Um, did, not to say that nobody flew, but I think a lot more appraisers did trips where they could drive out from their home and do several days and then drive back home so they didn't have to fly as much. And obviously we weren't able to get to as much of the country. So looking to 2022, I just had a discussion with, with um, Jim Vanderlyn, the PPM uh, on Friday. And I talked a little bit with him about this. And one of the things he told me was that they are working right now on a schedule uh, 
which will come out prior to the deadline to apply for linear appraisal, which is going to say what parts of the country are going to be that number one priority for 2022. So you'll know that ahead of time. That's wonderful. And Good. Now, that's wonderful. That, that I, I, listen, that's, that's in a perfect world. And that doesn't mean they're all going to get done. It doesn't mean they won't be able to do more than what they're hoping to get on those. But that is at least the plan is to come up with a proposed priority list of regions of the country that have not been scored in 21, 20, and in some cases, possibly even 19. And those will be the priorities for 2022. So, um, and it was said at the board meeting, and someone really was was kind of upset about this yesterday at the meeting we were at, finding out that if they were scored this year, they will not get scored next year. That's not necessarily true. Chances are, if you were scored this year, you probably won't be scored next year because it's your area is probably not going to be a priority area if it got done this year. But again, that doesn't mean that it's an all, you know, yes or no. It's just going to be the way things play out. Um, you know, we have less appraiser days, looks like, going forward to next year than we did this past year. We're going to try to train some new appraisers. We had a workshop at convention. We've identified um, a number of people as possible um, possible trainees. Some of them will be invited to the refresher session in February in California. And as I understand it, the board has allocated money to train two appraisers this coming year. So assuming we get through that refresher and of those candidates or prospective candidates that are that are being invited to the refresher training day two of them possibly could be selected to go into the field and do field training this year which then in turn could hopefully provide us two more appraisers for next year but again it's a process it doesn't happen overnight they have to do at least 10 days of training on the road with at least two other experienced appraisers on top of getting through the training day and the refresher. And it takes, it, it takes a long time to get that done. So, um, you know, we're hoping that it's going to get better. It's just, it's not going to happen overnight. So that's the answer to the first part of your question. The second part about um, what we expect or how to prepare and, and what, what is a good day for us as appraisers um, you know, there's the basic things. The first thing I would say to herd owners is think about, think about, um, the comfort of you, your animals and the appraiser. If it's 95 degrees and the sun is shining, please have some shade available somehow, somewhere, whether it's a pop-up or we can be in a garage or in a building where there's adequate room for us to move goats and, and be able to evaluate them, try to provide shade in some way, shape, or form so that neither you nor us or the goats are standing out in that sun. And the goats, of course, are only out there for 10 minutes or so. But if you've got an appraiser and you're a host herd and you're scoring from 7 a.m. until 6 or 7 p.m., that's a long day for an appraiser to have to stand out in that hot sun. 
And, um, you know, so, so think about those things. And I've been to herds where they had pop-ups and the pop-ups were for the owners and their friends to sit in. And I scored the goats out in the sunshine for the whole day. So kind of think of if it's too hot for you to be in the sun, it's probably too hot for those appraisers to be in the sun as well. On the other side of that is have some kind of cover in case of inclement weather. We have to, until at some point when NG is gets to phase two, hopefully, and they hopefully get us handhelds, we have to write all our scores on a, on a big sheet of paper, as Cameron knows, as he says he's looking across his sheet. You know, it's 11 by 4. It's bigger than 11 by 14. It's maybe 14 or, or, or something by 20. It's a big sheet of paper. So we've got that big clipboard, and to write those numbers, if we've got to, if we've got to, you know, tip it so we can see it, all the raindrops hit that page. And when you're trying to use an ink pen and write numbers into those little boxes and the paper gets wet, it's pretty difficult to be able to do scores and to be able to read them later. I've actually had times where I've had to send my pink copy of the score sheet to the office and keep the white one for my own records because the white one was so poor from being wet and my pen scratching through the paper and whatever that I couldn't send that one to the office to be the official sheet. I had to send them the second page because the carbon worked better than the first page. So having us a place where we can be out of the weather, whether it's sunshine or rain or whatever the case may be, is, is a key thing for the appraiser's comfort for sure. Um, you had on the list here that I, I don't see it now, but it was here a little bit earlier. Some of the other things, um, you know, cold or warm drink, depending on the day and the weather. Oh, yeah, here it is. I'm sorry. I just had to go down farther. Um, you know, food, water, comfort for the appraiser. Absolutely. Um, you know, we may need to use the restroom at some point throughout the day, especially if we're there for the whole day. <laughs> And uh, whether it's water or soft drinks or coffee, whatever it is, sure. You know, um, food is a little different, especially during COVID. You know, they had put restrictions in that, that had said, please don't provide food to the to the appraisers. And, and that was a COVID regulation. I will tell you that having things there when we get there is appreciated by the appraisers, um, especially if it's something like a granola bar or a Nutri-Grain bar or something that's enclosed in a packaging anyway. So, you know, it's not been handled or whatever, you know, those are always something that, that are easy for the herd owner. They're easy for the appraiser and it's something we can eat while we're working, you know? So those kinds of things I think are always appreciated. Um, in terms of the actual day and how it works, we're expected to score between six and eight animals an hour. If we're not getting those numbers, we actually are instructed by our supervisors to charge you an overtime rate. And none of us want to do that. Um, but there have been herds where in some cases we don't have any choice. Um, we, we just aren't getting the numbers done. And when our schedule is set up, it's set up to score six to eight goats an hour every hour throughout that day. 
And if you're my first stop of the day and you're only bringing me four goats an hour and I've got to score, I've got to score, uh, you know, 25 goats at your house before I have to go two more stops after lunch. It, it, it doesn't just affect you, but it affects the whole day and those other herds going on. And so that, that certainly can make a difference. So that's why I talked about things like milking out. If you want to have your goats milked out, you really need to have a, at least one or two other people there, someone to bring you the next goat and someone to milk that other goat that you want to have milked out so that we're always working on a goat, scoring a goat, you know, as soon as we finish one, we've got the next goat right there to read tattoos and start on the next one. Because that's what allows us to get animals done, get herds done, and get to the next stop. Speaking of tattoos, so one of the things that, that owners definitely want to do in preparation for you coming is to make sure that all of the animals that they're presenting have legible, correct tattoos that match what's on their papers. Absolutely. It's one of those things, and I cannot emphasize this enough you know all three of us know it from the show ring you know you you flip over an ear and you look and there's two dots and you know yeah. the herd owner says well the judge read it at the show last week um that may be but maybe my eyes aren't as good as that what that judge was and all i'm gonna say is please please check and make sure your tattoos are there they are legible and you, you've at least wiped out the ear, you know, with a paper towel or a wet wipe or something so we can see the tattoos. Yes. Um, you have on the list of things to, to talk about uh, pet peeves. One of my pet peeves is the people that tattoo them the night before or the morning you get there and they don't <laughs> wipe the ink out. They just bring them out with a green ear and green all over their face. And they expect you to clean their ears and read those tattoos. You know, I've got to have those fingers on my sheets all day and on my pen and on other people's goats. And I don't want my hands full of green ink first thing in the morning. So a pet peeve of mine is when people or when people uh, tattoo their goats within a couple of days of appraisal and then just bring them out with all that ink all over them and all in their ears and don't clean them first. That brings up a whole nother ball of wax, though. I mean, they're they're supposed to be registered and they're supposed to be tattooed before they're registered. So, yeah, <laughs> there's lots of issues with that, huh? <laughs> yep. Yep. We won't go. We won't go there on that one. OK, so when people are thinking about um, the actual presentation of their animals, do you prefer that they're clipped and like show ring ready? Is that how you want to see them presented? Because I know a lot of people will take off days and days of work beforehand to make sure that their herd is totally done. And in our um, cousins in the dairy cattle world, they don't do that for appraisal. Again, um, it's, it's necessarily. Yeah, I was going to say some some dairy herds do. Um, it depends on the facility and the herd and, and what their focus and goals are. Uh, the barn where my dairy cows are, they're, they're all clipped for appraisal day, but that doesn't necessarily mean that other ones are. Um, it's nice to see them clipped. Is it absolutely necessary? No. It's just like in the show ring. We see goats that are clipped. There are shows now that are happening in all the northern parts of the country, it seems, that are having fuzzy shows where you're not allowed to clip. It says right in the rules, animals must not be clipped for this show. 
you know, it's like judging. You have to use your hands as your eyes sometimes. And yeah, there's hair there. So you have to work your way around it and you have to feel through it and see what's underneath the hair. It helps us. Yes. Is it absolutely mandatory? No. What about utter clips? Any thoughts on those? Obviously, we don't want the long hairs to get in the way, but do you prefer them just having a nice 40? Do you prefer the nice razor? Do you prefer them? Oh, just being the way they are. You know, most um, most folks that are milking their goats have got some sort of an udder clip done anyway just for cleanliness and, and general udder health. Um, where we probably the ones that we don't see them clipped as much are, are, anim- are people who are dam raising kids. And again, at this stage right now, I would say that's more, we see that more in Nigerians than, than we probably do in the other breeds at this stage. Um, as long as it's the majority of that long, you know, that long stringy hair is off there. Again, if we have to put our finger up in between the, the halves of the udder to see how high that crease is, we have to do that at refresher because when we go to refresher, those goats aren't clipped. Those udders aren't clipped. Sometimes you got to put your finger up in there just to see how far up that crease is from the bottom of the udder. So we can, we can look at it without it, without it uh, being clipped, you know, um, perfectly for sure. It, it really is not a necessity. Um, again, it, it certainly adds to the, what I tell people is, you present those goats on appraisal day to get as high a score as you can. You know, the goal of most people is to is to get high scores on their goats at appraisal time. And to that end, would you bring her into the show ring without clipping her udder and without clipping her hair? You know, probably not. But um, again, we can do it if we need to. A little bit about udder really quickly because we haven't talked about bagging or not bagging. And um, we actually have an instruction on our, on our uh, SOP that talks about or our prep sheet that, that talks about other instructions for owners. Those are best prepared by having them uttered to the point of functional capacity with consideration to utter texture, elasticity, and the doe's ease and comfort while on the move or while at rest. And it's just like in the show ring. You want, we'd like to see them full to their capacity. Um, but that also means comfortable for the goat. We don't want them roaching up. Uh, we don't want them shelving in that forder. We don't want them straightening up their rear legs because they're carrying, you know, way too much milk or way more milk than what they're used to carrying. And Again, she's got to be able to walk around that mammary system so we can score her on the move and be able to, to see how she moves and score her general appearance fairly. You know, you both know when you get a goat that's overbagged, it doesn't just affect udder texture. It affects so many things. It affects her top line. It affects her rear leg angulation. It affects the way she moves. They roach. They paddle. They, you know, they do all kinds of things. So by getting them too full is almost worse than not having them full enough. So it's kind of that comfortably full to their capacity. We still want to be able to determine utter texture, but we'd like to see the capacity. We want to see where that, where that rear arch should be. And, you know, in order to do that, we, we certainly need to see some milk in there. 
which is why we oftentimes choose to nick dry goats because we can't see that. Makes a lot of sense to me. Thank yeah. you. Bob, do you have anything else to close us out here today? Anything we missed or anything you really wanted to highlight on the appraisal program here as we uh, go forward? Um, not really, other than especially right now with, with the issues we have with ADGA in general and NG and communication and things. Please share with with friends and, and others, especially those that don't have electronic uh, capabilities with emails that remind remind them that the deadlines are still going to be the deadlines. They still have to get those applications in by whatever. I believe the date's going back to January 31st was what, what it used to be. I know it was different this year, but please pay attention to those deadlines and those dates. And even if your area of the country is maybe not a priority for this year, it doesn't mean don't apply because you never know. It, it may work out that they're going to be in your area or you're right on the edge of where they're going to be somewhere else and they can get you on the list. So don't not apply just thinking because you were scored last year, you won't be scored this year. And again, if they don't get to you, they're going to probably give you the option later in the year to either get a refund or roll it over till next year. So that would be my one word of advice to people especially this year and the challenges that we're facing as we go ahead into 2022. Bob, I can't thank you enough for being willing to be on here again. We had such great feedback last time and uh, I, I'm excited about the linear appraisal program. You know, when, when people ask me why ADGA, why should I become an ADGA member? What is a benefit to me as a breeder, as a, as a um, dairy goat enthusiast, enthusiast, I always say it's our production programs that really set us apart and linear appraisal certainly is, is a big part of that. Um, nobody else has a program like what we do. Nobody else has the data like ADGA does. And um, I, I'm still a firm believer that is what makes ADGA just the premier dairy goat registry. Yep. I agree. All right, listeners. Thanks for joining us again this week. If you like us, tell a friend, if you don't like us, give us some feedback on what we can do better. We're always looking for feedback on that. Um, you can find us on anywhere you get your podcast, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, really wherever. Um, as always, thanks for listening this week with us. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you, guys, and we will see you on next week's episode of Goat Gab.